Hey everybody, we're going to be talking about biodiversity and uh, biodiversity loss today and its impact on humans, including uh, the spread of uh, novel diseases that tend to, uh, you know, these are, um, uh, people seem to think of diseases and viruses as just this Oh, it's just this natural, it's just a part of mother nature. And, and you just got to let this natural process just work its way through your lungs and, and, uh, your neurologic system. <laughs> and that's, it's not the case. There's, uh, there are a number of evolutionary mismatches, uh, the world that we were built for, the world that our immune system was built for, the world that every, our mating patterns, uh, you know, all, all different things. The, the way that we advertise ourselves, status seeking, cooperation, aggression, all, all of those things were, uh, were shaped in a very different environment than we're currently in. And those have uh, huge impacts. So um, I'm really happy uh, that my guest Deb Miller today is on because I just keep on hearing this from people both both sides of the fence. I don't know why there's only two sides, but I guess that's what we're doing for now. And both sides seem to be. Uh, uh, I I've heard um, a lot of people just say, "Well, it just." just happens something, you know, this is just what happens. It's just a natural, perfectly natural pathogen, nothing to worry about. And the, you know, these are conversations we're going to have to deal with. This is what people want to say with climate change and write it off as a natural process. And, uh, and, and there, there are, even if that were the case, whatever the word natural means, even if that were the case, it has dramatic consequences on our lives and our future and uh, life as we know it. So um, uh, if you also want to hear more about some of my takes on COVID, I did a solo episode uh, recently where I kind of talk about uh, the, um, the, kind of things that I have to think about when trying to plan out a, fee, uh, a tour, when, when thinking about possibly doing shows, distance shows, outdoor shows, th those sorts of things, commenting on the state of current comedy during, uh, during COVID. And um, uh, so if you want to go back and listen to that, touch on a couple of those ideas on on this episode as well so sorry if it's a little redundant and don't want to hit you over the head with covid stuff haven't done much in the last two months and i don't know uh, exactly the right balance um you know i kind of wanted to put some stuff out before thanksgiving and uh you know the timing of getting the right guests and um and uh, there's a lot of people very bit the the people that you want to talk to most about this are are the most preoccupied trying to uh, save the world at the moment. And so I also don't want to bother them too much. I don't want to hound people and I don't want to alienate 
people by talking about it too much, even people that are uh, people that are already taking COVID seriously. I don't want to like you know hit them over the head uh, and and make them stress out more than is necessary. And uh, so I, I don't know what the exact right balance is, but um, you know this holiday season is going to be really problematic, and um, I just uh, sincerely hope that. Uh, uh, I, I think that most people listening to this show probably know better than to just write things off and uh, live their lives um, uh, as if there isn't a, a virus that you can get and give to a bunch of other people. And, um, you know, um, you, you might think it's like the death rate's low or something like that. But if I framed it like, Hey, I gave 50 people COVID and only one of them died. So, you know, I only, I'm only responsible for, uh, one person dying. So I don't see what the, I don't see what the fuss is. I, I you know, why, why are people getting so worked up about this thing? I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear about the long-term impacts uh, that the other, uh, that the other 49, uh, uh, some percentage of them are are facing and and who knows uh time will tell the real damage that's been done i gotta get out there gotta go to bars gatherings and stuff i i hope that people watching this show aren't doing that i don't want to make you feel bad for it uh either but um uh, i i'm just happy that we're able to uh, uh approach this from as many angles as possible so Biodiversity doesn't doesn't matter. Um, uh, e even if you think uh, COVID is not a big deal or whatever else, uh, bio the, I, I think that you'll hopefully agree by the end of this episode that uh, uh, if you didn't already think this and uh, listen to a science podcast, that that uh, the loss of biodiversity is a real issue. But there's some uh, new things that I certainly had never thought about before. And I hope you do as well. Hope you did have a nice holiday season. One thing I'd highly recommend, I have a habit from being alone um, on the road all of the time um, by myself, which I'm, I'm a bit of a loner and I kind of like that, but I also keep in touch with a lot of people and I spend more time, uh, even before COVID, I spend lots of time catching up with old high school friends and old uh, uh, comedian friends I hadn't talked to in a while, I'll reach out and have a long conversation and uh, keeping in touch with people that, that uh, I enjoy having philosophical conversations with. And I think in a day of, of texting and email and stuff, some of that is lost. And, and uh, if you're feeling a need for um, social connection, uh, you know, we all kind of mocked all of the Zoom meetups and everything early on, and I, I, I'm sure I told some jokes about it as well, uh, and I've just come to realize it's been one of the things that has just really helped me in all of this um, not not feel uh, as as disconnected. So. I recommend uh, one one good thing for um, for mental health is is reaching out to people, and a lot of people are in the same boat, and they'd probably appreciate it, and are just reluctant to reach out because people don't, no one calls anybody anymore. So, um, you know, t take that for what it's worth, but um, it's something that a lot of people don't don't think to do. So, pick up the phone, call a few people, 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I wish you all the best out there. Um, and, uh, this is a challenging situation, even when it doesn't feel challenging and we forget how challenging it is sometimes and then we slip up. So, um, take care of yourselves. Thanks so much for watching. You guys are awesome. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I am comedian and science enthusiast Shane Moss. Joining me today... Did I just say my last name wrong? I think I might have. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I'm comedian and science communicator Shane Moss. Joining me today is Deb Miller, who is, was recommended by, uh, I know, through COVID, um, some of the listeners' favorite guests that we've had on twice now, uh, Nina Pfefferman, uh, such an, an impressive scientist and communicator and I, I reached out to her for some suggestions and I have Deb Miller joining me today who I'm so thrilled to talk to. Deb, can you tell me and listeners a bit about what you do? Sure. Um, well, I am actually, uh, I'm a professor at the University of Tennessee. I am a veterinary pathologist and also a wildlife biologist. So I have combined both of those things. Um, those are my passions. And as part of that, I am the current interim director for the One Health Initiative at the University of Tennessee. What is the One Health Initiative? The One Health Initiative is, um, so first of all, One Health, it's an approach, right? It's how we, look at and tackle issues pertaining to any health issue. Um, and it's bringing together people from multiple disciplines because you need to have experts that can represent every single aspect of a health issue. It might be um, the veterinary aspect, so the animal health, it might be plant health, it might be uh, human health, it might be environmental health. And those are kind of the four things that we always think about with, with health in general. And we bring together experts, including people who are experts in communication, in economics, in engineering, uh, architecture, all of those. Uh, to try to solve problems. Well, first of all, we try to prevent them. We don't like to have pandemics. <laughs> um, but then when we do, to solve them and then to be able to move forward with, with a plan. Um, it's, it's a coordinated effort. So our One Health initiative at the University of Tennessee is just that. It is a way to bring together all of the experts that we have at UT, um, people that can uh, work as teams and they're going to be doing what they're already doing. So researching what they're already researching, um, providing education in whatever they're already providing education, but working together with other folks so that they can then part, we can partner outside of the university 
and look at any of these issues. For example, uh, loss of biodiversity. People don't always think about that as being a part of health, but it is. If we lose biodiversity, it's telling you there's something wrong in that environment. And when you know that, then you need to identify what it is, but, and why it's happening so that you can try to correct it. Mm. Yeah, such a huge for for all of the um, uh, uh, for all of the media attention that that climate change and just global warming generally gets, which is great and not enough. I wish there was more of it, but you you definitely don't hear the word biodiversity as much in in the news. And obviously, these these things are uh, especially climate change has a huge impact on this. And there's a million other human factors and and other factors that that go into it but it's uh it's it, it's seemingly so underrepresented and i think it's one of the things that there there's there's maybe less um uh, p- people have less kind of political predispositions uh and and judgments already formed in terms of mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh in terms of threats to biodiversity i i think your average person in any uh you know it's hunting season in wisconsin right mm-hmm. now and there's all sorts of people out there that might think global warming is either not a thing or not much of a threat or maybe not human impact or what it might have political opinions about it or disagree with the science of it that i'm i'm sure are are care deeply about um wildlife and Mm -hmm. uh and having healthy um woods and forests and being able to hunt healthy populations of deer and and everything else exactly exactly and and um And that's what One Health is about, realizing that everything is interconnected. Mm -hmm. The health of of any creature is impacted by the health of all the other creatures. So we're all, you know, we have one earth, right? (laughs) And we're all living on it together. So, you know, it's, it makes sense that everything is interconnected. And so, so you look into, um, some of how wildlife deals with pathogens as mm-hmm. well and so so like say you have um say you have like a bat or an ant or um some other kind of social organism um and and there's some new infection do they uh do they all kind of discuss where they fall politically and then uh and, and then take their uh, precautions accordingly or how do the how do how do ants go go about uh, go about um uh, avoiding diseases or or limiting spread that's awesome um, so one thing that i always tell people nobody other than humans understands borders, right? (laughs) They don't have borders. Wildlife don't have borders. Um, Pathogens don't have borders. And we transport everything around the world now. We've watched that with COVID. We've been able to, I mean, I I think this may be the first time this has happened where we've, we've been able to watch a pathogen move across the entire globe. And, and that's amazing. Yeah. But we 
watched it probably because it was impacting humans <laughs> pretty severely. But this is happening with other things as well. Yeah. So, for example, I mean, you brought up bats. Um, we have white nose syndrome, which is a fungus. We also have a fungus that occurs in snakes and is devastating to them. We have a fungus that occurs in amphibians and it's devastating to them. And in all of those cases, they started out in one part of the globe and now we're seeing them in other parts of the globe. Yeah. Not spreading as quickly maybe as COVID did, but spreading quickly. And, and we're, we, um, scientists are really working to try to limit the spread, mm. try to stop it, and then try to study it to see what it's doing to various species. Yeah, I've had, um, since COVID, I had a, a, a bat researcher that, that had actually been on uh, my show Stand Up Science last year, and, and I, I thought I thought of her talking about the, the um, white nose, um, uh, what is it, a fungus or something? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and I had her on talking about how the, the, they, they think it's some caver that came from Europe, maybe had some on his boot or something like that. And then it comes in and it's this, um, it kind of, a, a lot of times with these things, the, um, uh, a, a lot of these viruses evolve in some kind of native environment where where there's um, this like red queen or balance of, of push and pull yes. uh, kind of thing happening where where the virus takes off a little bit in the in the native organisms so it will adapt a little bit and some will die off and they and and there's this kind of arms race but then when mm -hmm. you take that out and put it in this completely new environment, that now now this virus that's kind of built up and learned all these tricks now has these tricks that some new bat in the, um, New Hampshire or whatever never saw coming. Exactly. It's all about checks and balances. And if you think about it, um, a, a pathogen and viruses can be very smart. <laughs> But any type of pathogen, it's like anything else. They want to survive, right? Yeah. And you don't want to kill off all of your hosts because if you do that, then you're probably not going to survive. So you want that. Uh, you want to be able to live with your host. So you you do have that. So some of them will die off, but they will evolve. The host will evolve to. Ooh, I I think that um, I'm going to survive this by by in this way. So genetically, they evolve, and then the pathogen is like, ooh, I can overcome that a little bit. And so it is. It's that yeah. give and take, but they're surviving together. And then you take whatever you might take the host and move it someplace else or the pathogen and move it someplace else and it's going to be the same thing where all of a sudden it's like if you travel to another country and you've never been there and you um you've got you adapt to whatever pathogens you come in contact with I remember when uh, we went and lived in Spain for a short period of time on sabbatical. And when I got there, 
I, I contracted a probably just a cold like anybody else would get, but that cold virus they had there was, oh my gosh, it was horrible for me. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. You could take the host and move it and whatever their natural um, pathogens are that are in that area are going to be new. Yeah, you go on a cruise, which some people yeah. are still trying to do for some yes. reason, and <laughs> and you and you get off, and they might warn you to, uh, uh, to you know be be wary of the drinking water and in yes. this foreign environment or something. Well, at this point, if you're going on a, a COVID crew, they're probably like, "Have at it!" You <laughs> you, you, you clearly aren't terribly concerned about much of anything. Um, yeah, I I keep on that's been one of the uh um things of of kind of knowing the i I think there's this perception from movies where like well a virus could happen and like people get it and fall over or turn into zombies or whatever and it's this extreme and, and neglect kind of the uh understanding of the the mechanisms of like you said, a virus needing a host to at least survive long enough to pass it on to some other host. Um, and and so when whenever people are just like, oh, it's not that big, it, or death rates, this and that, I'm just I'm always kind of like, well, how deadly would you prefer it to be? Like, what, how, how deadly do you want it to be? And then, <laughs> and, and you might get your wish too. Um, and, and so I, I think there is kind of a, um, misunderstanding of, of that going on a little bit too, where people are like, well, no one's a zombie. So I think we'll, I think we'll be, be okay. But these, these are in hopefully using this experience as something that maybe moves the needle a little bit in terms of people's just general, um, kind of science literacy and uh, just basic kind of fundamental uh, immunology um, knowledge so that we kind of know when the next, you know, we've, we've had SARS and and uh, various, you know, AIDS and various virus within my lifetime that have popped up and, and some have been contained and some haven't. And, uh, and hopefully as we're we're learning more skills about this. That's one of the things that um, that we can convey to people that yes. it, that it's it's not it's not necessarily just all death rate stuff. Right. There's there's so many other factors going on. So anyway, right. that's my little diatribe. Um, I so so what kind of back to the question of uh, different species? What kind of so if you are in some native environment and and there's a virus that you're evolving alongside with, what kind of adaptions uh, do social um, uh, animals have to um, uh, p- picking up on that there's that that another individual is showing signs of sickness and what kind of um, disease avoidance? Uh, actions or behaviors do they take? Yeah, well, um, so they will for uh, in a um, wild animal 
for example, if they sense that there's something wrong with one individual, they're probably going to avoid that individual mm -hmm. uh, as much as possible. And um, that's kind of been something that we've known, not just for um, disease, but, you know, if they know that an animal's not going to be able to keep up with a herd, um, they sense that when there's something wrong with it, and it might not look like it's the friendly, kind thing to do from the human standpoint, but um, from the animal standpoint, it's a, it's a survival mm -hmm. um, mechanism. So, yeah. So there so. will be, yeah, so there will be some of that. But um, I think more than anything, it's us recognizing that there is something increasing in a population and identifying when this is happening and identifying what is happening and then intervening as much right. as we can. So is part of, uh, say, if you take a, a zebra or, or something uh, mm -hmm. and is, so obviously humans for all of our incredible uh, language and uh, tool using abilities and all this we're so very smart and everything else we, we still have a very obviously a very difficult time uh, wrapping our hand, heads around these this kind of abstract idea of germ theory that's relatively new in our history and so evolution kind of builds some uh, ha had had built some heuristics that aren't necessarily a a, a perfect bullseye and figuring out exactly what's wrong in a situation and and so something that might be an injury that isn't contagious might uh, there there's there might be some kind of better safe than sorry um uh kind of psychological um adaptions to uh to things right like, like if something has a uh, a broken leg or something like that uh -huh. it's it it, it would potentially a zebra be like yeah that thing might be sick whatever it is there's something wrong with it let's not think about it too much let's just get kind of get away right because it's going to start acting differently mm -hmm. and animals cue in on that if anything's acting um different uh, in any way they're gonna they're gonna be very wary and suspect that something's not right and a lot of times it's it might not just be acting um there'll be smells you know, an animal might uh, all of a sudden their smell is going to change and there's all these different cues that um, the other animals will pick up on that, that something's wrong. Mm. So and, are, are there are there any useful tools that we've that we've learned from looking at other species that um, that we can like take some of their tricks. I I just had I just had someone on recently talking about how uh, 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 that was a, a cardiologist, um, and then was brought into a zoo uh, to to look at some hearts of gorillas and then a few other things, and then started learning all of these things from veterinarians that that regular physicians were completely unaware of that that were. Uh, really useful in terms of say examining breast cancer or you know there's a, a list a mile long mm -hmm. 
So as far as what we learned from animal populations and what and how they respond to infections or pathogens yeah. that come in, um, I, I guess there's uh, some things that we can learn from them. Um, I think more though than learning from them how to respond to others within right, our, right. yeah cohort that become infected um so maybe the social distancing does come from animals right. um, but i think more than that it's it's understanding that um it takes more than just that species to to battle it Mm -hmm. So in our, in the One Health view, we look at it as, maybe you could think of, of it as being um, the different disciplines, so the different experts that you need to bring them in to, to, um, to study what's going on and to come up with ways to correct it. Um, so I, I think that, again, I've heard stories about um, after a typhoon, for example, uh, there's been some natural dis disaster. People uh, are without shelter and they are getting ill because the water is no longer safe. Uh, so everything's been destroyed. Their water, um, you know, their sanitation, um, their garbage, you know, everything has been just thrown into turmoil. Mm. And, and what has been the approach, maybe in some cases has been to go in and give antibiotics just to treat them as they're getting sick, and not realizing so they're bringing in the health professionals. But they're not realizing that what they really need are the engineers and the architects. Because mm -hmm. if they get the system back working and the water healthy, uh, the food healthy, if they get the people shelter, proper shelter, that can be safe and clean, the problem of getting infections will go away. Mm. So that's a good example of how we would need to take this one health approach. So in the animal world, in that in their in their social setting, they might end up having to um, help those that are sick if they can, but more often than not, is going to be, hey, you're the one who's going to get picked off by by the predator coming in, and that's going to protect the rest of us. So right. the healthier ones can move on. Um, but that's different than looking at, okay, so you have this situation, you have this pathogen, and it is a new pathogen, and it's spreading. How do we tackle that? Mm. So that's what, you know, that's, it, 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 if you can think about it as two separate things. Right. So I I love how much uh, um, 
you know, we're trying to be more and more interdisciplinary as as time goes on. I one of the uh, uh, this this is kind of my if I have a strong suit, it's that I'm, I I'm definitely not an A student, but I'm a C student in tons and tons and tons of <laughs> of, of different uh, of different fields. I talk with lots of different people and lots of different disciplines all the time, and I'm like okay in all of them and uh and uh, but but you start kind of building this like web of causation and stuff over time that um it, it is easier for uh, the human mind to try to simplify things and be like mm -hmm. this is just an issue of masks or it's a it's a all or nothing kind of thing with the lockdown. It's we either care about COVID or we care about the economy. Those are two different things that don't yeah. relate to one another in any way. And so pick one. And it's just, I, I mean, I even a simple example is I tell people who, um, uh, who ask me when I'm going to be touring again all of the time, I tell people, uh, look, assuming that I didn't care about COVID, which I do, I wouldn't want, I, I, ju I just have no interest in encouraging people to come in, gather indoors. I don't, I know from my experience of like being out and about and having to walk backwards as people are, are coming to talk toward me and them not getting the cue as I'm walking <laughs> backwards faster. Uh, like I don't trust people's ability to adapt to this and I would feel awful if people were like well Shane has a science podcast and and he did a live show so he must be taking proper precautions and so it must be okay for us to all gather in a in a in a room together well well we have the highest numbers ever but say that wasn't the case and I didn't care or whatever and I thought it, I thought this was just a cold or something like that I still need to consider public perception in how to, I'm, I'm also a show producer, so I need to get butts into seats. And, mm -hmm. and it's something that I'll have to figure out once, you know, once there is a vaccine and everyone's taken it and, and the threat's been mitigated, there, there still needs to be um, a consumer confidence is now so uh, intertwined with, with COVID numbers. And a lot of people, even if I told them, hey, this is perfectly safe and we've done everything and we've taken your temperature, which is borderline worthless, but it makes you feel good. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, um, you, you know, there's still going to be people that are like, I don't know if it's worth risking my life to go to a comedy show because of some comedian's take on what's safe and, and, and what's not. So, um, so the, to me, the only way forward from an economic small business guy, which I am, is to get numbers down low enough to get treatments good enough so that truly people don't, to have enough information so that there aren't as many unknowns about reinfection and long-term, um, consequences. And there's there's all of those questions need to be answered in the minds of potential customers 
before they they'll, they'll come and patronize my business and and so and so it's simply not this economic versus uh versus virus um argument no you're exactly right it's not and and in the meantime while you're waiting on the treatment um it's a, and gathering of all the data it's important to become creative just like yeah. you have done yeah it's yeah. better if if you can still make money doing that yeah yeah uh, i mean i i'm definitely trying to make the most of all of my time and 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 for me it's it's been a nice i've been on the road for 14 years so it's probably uh it, it was probably good for me to step back from things for a minute and and re-examine things that's another thing that i feel like people are kind of missing out on a lot of opportunity to possibly rethink things and make improvements to their businesses and personal life and physical health and everything else and a lot of people are just kind of caught up in whether we believe this is a thing or or a real threat or not yes exactly um so in terms of you had mentioned some evolutionary mismatches um, yes earlier with with now all of a sudden we can have this pathogen that can make its way uh, a virus is able to hop on an airplane and have a first class flight to some other country and and this is something that never happened before what about the idea because here's another thing that I've been thinking a lot about, and I, I want you to correct me if I'm off in this. Um, we live in more compact and larger societies than ever. And, and I mean, wasn't the origin of some of the, uh, so, some of the, um, modern diseases, um, connected to modern agriculture in the first place. So this is something that in our 250,000 your history, we maybe wouldn't have been putting livestock in close quarters, and then, uh, and and perhaps uh, creating a petri dish for more um, viruses and bacteria, and then and then eating that and putting ourselves in a similar petri dish. Um, any any thoughts about that? Yes, exactly. And, you know, what's really important to think about is it even goes further back than that, probably, or even more basic than that. It's just that we have taken away, you know, we started out with um, nice forested land that was continuously forested or this continuous prairie land. And through time, we people have have um, clear cut, have taken away that habitat, put up their own homes. So we're encroaching upon the, um, upon wildlife, upon the environment. And, and then not only are we, we're not just like chiseling it away a little bit at a time, we're actually often chiseling away and then, oh, well, let's go over here and start this. And so all of a sudden we only have these little fragments of habitat left hmm. and in doing that we have changed how uh, the amount of land that there is for wildlife so sometimes we're forcing them into little areas and then if they wander out like deer are a good example they wander out and they get amongst 
humans, deer, coyotes, raccoons. We like seeing them until they start causing problems, but they're there because they kind of have no place else to go. And so they're trying to adapt. And in doing that, we often allow, uh, or, well, let me back up. The other thing that we're doing is we, uh, we put a lot of stuff in the environment that we um, might intentionally do to try to control um, plants that we don't want growing or insects or whatever, um, but, or we want to increase growth of things that we really need for food or we're growing only one thing in an area. So we do all of this. So we're, we're adding what we call, let's just say contaminants, okay? We have things that, um, contaminants that are from whatever we're trying to produce industry-wise or our vehicles, that, you know, anything that makes our life simpler, there's usually something bad that is also happening. And I like to, to add to that something that people, that's kind of new on the scene that people haven't really thought a whole lot about, but things that we're trying to do now to make ourselves healthier and we think is good, like putting sunscreen on, putting insecticide on because we don't want Zika virus, we don't want West Nile, we don't want all those things. Um, and, and we think of them as good, and they are, but then we're realizing that, hey, here are these animals swimming around in the ocean, and we're finding these chemicals in them. I don't think they're putting sunscreen on or wow. insecticide. I and that's never crazy, thought right? of that. Yeah, and actually, um, Hawaii is probably the first state to start to ban certain sunscreens because it's damaging marine life. Coral is one of them. So, uh, you know, all of these things that we don't even realize might be causing problems until we realize they are. And then when we realize that, we need to do something. Oh, man, Deb, I love finding out a new horrifyingly depressing <laughs> problem <laughs> every time. I swear I get like one an episode and I just get so excited <laughs> about it. it. It's it's and I, I half kid, but this is just part of um, uh, to me, I think that that we can reframe some of this modern problem solving as 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 part of this like mindfulness stuff that everyone's talking about yes. these days and yes. is all the rage and because you say something like that to me and it blows my mind like oh my gosh i've never thought about that before now every single time i put insect or see someone else putting sunscreen on or whatever that's that that thought is going to enter my mind and if we can get those thoughts entering enough people's minds perhaps uh like what australia is doing it uh, there there might a lot of times some of these things uh, there are if not easy there are solutions if only people yeah. become aware of them if only right. if only they become you know you you, you just 
the likelihood of a sunscreen debate taking place in Congress um, isn't that high until it's uh, permeated the kind of zeitgeist of our culture enough that enough people are talking about it. Yeah, exactly. And understanding it and realizing, okay, so you don't need to just stop putting on sunscreen, but maybe your choice is choices that we make. We all make a million choices a day and we just need to think more about the choices that we make. So, you know, use a sunscreen that at least at this point in time, we think is much safer. Um, you know, hmm. I don't like wearing long sleeves when it's really hot out, but you know, they, that, is also another option, you know, wearing hats and things like that. So there are just other options. And again, it, it boils down to choices. Um, we don't like to, humans want things to be easier for many reasons, not just because they're easier. I mean, sometimes as you age, you need things to be easier sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. um, but also because we, we often equate that with being more efficient. And we're all trying to multitask and to do so many things that we need that. Mm -hmm. But we have to think about the choices that we're making when we're doing that so that we're not making things more difficult in the long run for us and yeah. making, uh, making things less healthy. And whether it's health, mental health, physical health, whatever, uh, we need to think about that. Yeah, I, I I think that of a, a lot of times the say like global warming debate is framed as like well there's one side that does not believe in global warming and another side that does but often it's the case that most people believe in global warming, um and then a smaller percentage of people believe that there's human impact in it and then a smaller still it, it's it's not necessarily the idea of global warming or the facts of the matter that people have a problem with it it is the the costs and uh, and inconvenience in making the adjustments that and 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 the trade-offs there that there seem to be um more of the debate and pushback against but if there was if there was say say everyone in the world right now just happened to be listening to this heard this new sunscreen fact geez i didn't I didn't know that my sunscreen um, uh, could could be uh, hurting ocean life, and then they everyone everyone knows about this issue. It gets a little buzz on the news for a little while, and then what do you know? Some manufacturer figures it out, and now you go to the store, and there's a little label on something that says, uh, you know, wildlife safe sunscreen or something it, i i believe that if enough people were aware a a decent number of people would would choose the harm free uh you know the the sunscreen that's uh, that's safe for um for fish or or whatever yeah i i believe so too because i think you know people don't want to intentionally <laughs> harm our environment because we're living in it right right and you know and so i think if you if they're offered good choices they will want to take the good choice hmm. so at least that's what i believe what do you, that, you know it's it's that's um 
you know, those are really important points. I think that we need to need to consider. And what are, what are your what are some of your thoughts on the kind of push and pull of how much of this is is the responsibility of um, like you know this is individual responsibility for, for and and certainly uh, you know often it's. it's it's barely speculation at this point that Western culture is a bit more individualistic than, um, than some others, but the, the conversation between is this, do we take a policy driven approach? Do, do we, uh, do we say, Hey, this is individuals using too much sunscreen or do we say, Hey, sunscreen makers, we're going to, we're going to put these restrictions on what you're able to put in sunscreen uh you know that's a that's a huge conversation these days of, of of what is too much government overreach or or what's just um you know going to end up uh wasting tax money on bureaucracy or or these these regulations are an infringement on um our our most prized individuals which is uh that corporations are people and, and we must we must care for their individual rights. Uh, do you have, I, I, I maybe just showed my cards a little bit there on what my, <laughs> what my stance are, but do you, do you, uh, do you have any take on, on, uh, kind of that, that debate? And, and I imagine there's, there's a lot of different, uh, probably approaching from as many different angles as we can. Yeah, well, and that's what basically what I was gonna say. I yeah. mean, I don't think that we. I would love it if if it would be that we could say that oh, we're just gonna give these choices and that's gonna be it, and everybody's gonna do what they need to do. But that's not really the way life works, and so, um, unfortunately, to really make a difference in a timely manner we often need policy to help with that. Hmm. The challenge can be um, coming up with the right policy because sometimes we make policy and it's, it doesn't always serve its purpose or really tackle the, the issue mm -hmm. or it comes along with these other things with it. Um, so uh, I, I think that it needs to be a combination of things, but they, you still need to work hard at it. You can't just jump into it too fast. You know, you have to think it through. Yeah, I, I mean, it, seem, it seems like there are instances in which um, the kind of individual responsibility thing is, is a kind of corporate cop-out where, uh, you know, this happened with, uh, with seatbelts and, and saying like, well, this driver's screwing up, and not not the way that our car is constructed, or whatever, and and uh, or or that we don't offer a, a seatbelt option, or or um, I I think the idea of uh, of carbon footprint was popularized by B British Petroleum, um, and and uh, there's been several instances like that but and then at the same time you might have someone that's a little more of my leaning which is uh you know i'm pretty pro regulation and in, in these regards and regulating the regulators um but i you know i also can't be like 
Well, I'm going to drink as many plastic bottles of water as I want because look at that smokestack over there. That's what the real issue is. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, and that's a good point. Um, the, yeah, the, like with the carbon footprint, um, I worry that people think, oh, I can do anything I want and then I'll just throw some money over here and that makes up for it. It's like, well, no, because once that resource is gone or destroyed or damaged, it's kind of a done deal. And yeah. so can we, can we minimize that somehow instead of saying, oh, I can go ahead and do that because I'm doing this over here. Yeah. It, it, you know, the, you don't, you don't, erase it by some good deed right you don't erase a bad deed by some good deed so i i don't know. i i have i have no idea if we're now getting like way outside of your wheelhouse with this with this next mm -hmm. question so so you can you know uh have a whack at it if you want or or whatever um i i, I know uh my, my guests are never too scared to be like, I don't know. <laughs> <That's not my laughs> <thing>. uh, <laughs> but um, it, it, what do you think about kind of so, some of the true costs of a lot of these issues are, are hidden from us. Uh, yeah. we, we say go to a gas pump and we might look and see that it was, 250 in one area and over three dollars in one area or the summertime is more expensive or this or that but there's also all of these hidden our our taxes are sometimes subsidizing um oil companies there's there's all of these ways in which the actual cost of what we're doing um which is burning through the last of our finite resources at the very least not even talking about carbon emissions and everything else uh, that there's that there's a much higher that the true cost of a gallon of of gasoline is in reality much much more than w w what they're advertising at the pump and you could probably say that about uh, you know there some people have advocated for say a sin a, a syntax on sugar or some, something like that, processed sugar. Do you have any thoughts on any of those kind of uh, policies? Um, yeah, so I think um, sometimes it, it's nice, it would be nice if there was more transparency mm -hmm. so that we did understand where the costs are and how much they are because i don't think that the average person knows or understands that yeah and so then it's hard to um subsidizing has been something that many end up relying on for example farmers often do mm -hmm. Um, but again, it's almost like we trapped ourselves into needing them. Yeah. Does that not seem that way sometimes? Yeah. And when it's like, well, but why do we need them? Yeah. You know, why are you going to 
the substance a farmer to not produce right. <laughs> milk when as i heard one farmer say i can't like just tell my cows to start stop producing milk <laughs> you know so there's when there are starving children somewhere you know i, I so i get I, I get really frustrated with um i understand it but yet i get frustrated with it yeah, I, I think that, I, I mean, uh, capitalism was this amazing way of decentralizing information and, and, and getting a lot more information in the, on the ground in kind of a simple way of like not, not needing some centralized, this is how many loaves of bread this area is going to need at this time right. and, and the nightmares that ensued. And I, I think that, uh, you, you know, fr from that, uh, because it worked out so well in so many regards, um, maybe maybe we need to be like, okay, there was a lot of great aspects to that, and now we also need to have uh, a little bit of respect for um, authority in certain aspects yeah. as well as we're if we're going to go through the the uh, the costs of educating our populations and and creating expertise and specialized, then, then we need to utilize those resources. Right. Um, yeah. Do you, how much do you know about COVID? Are you, can I ask you some questions? Uh, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can. can. I, I, I want to circle back to the climate change that, well, at let's, some point. No, let's, let's finish that conversation. Okay, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So, um, so there are some things that I think people aren't um, realizing that are, that's happening with climate change. I know we hear about the change in the um, the ice. So, you know, the ice you have loss of this old ice, which is really what's causing polar bear populations to, to decline. But what we're seeing. Um, even like maybe that people can relate to, uh, maybe even more than that, would be beach temperatures. We all like to go to the beach, right? So the beach temperature has been really crazy high for many years now. We've had a couple of years that have been pretty normal. But we've had a lot of years where it's been really super high. Mm. And you might think, well, so I have to wear shoes when I'm walking on the sand. But people forget that those beaches are not just where we go and we lay and we play and make our sand castles. They are places where sea turtles, for example, lay their eggs. And Increased beach temperature means increased incubation temperature. Sea turtles, like most turtles, their sex is determined primarily by the temperature that they incubate at. Mm. So with these rising temperatures, we not only end up with, in this case, more females, and in some cases, all females being born off of a certain beach, how is that going to impact the population in the future? We're also seeing, at least we're documenting right now, increased numbers of deformities. Mm -hmm. And 
less uh, lower numbers of these hatchlings being successful in making it out of the nest and making it back to the ocean. Mm. And then when they do, you think about that. So you've got these hatchlings stressed out because they're in these elevated temperatures now. And some of them actually come out with blood in their eyes because they're so hot. But they're coming out, they're being stressed in the nest, but those, in, those higher temperatures can be, you know, because the sand is not sterile, right? There's all kinds of fungi and bacteria in the, in the sand. So that's in the nest. And in some cases, that elevated temperature is like putting it in an incubator. And a lot of those organisms love that. And whereas that hatchling, when it is calm and just growing and happy, it is not going to be impacted by these organisms that are just, you know, hanging out, they're growing, they're getting what they need to. But you stress that hatchling from increased temperatures, you get this organism that's like, ooh, I love this warm, nice little oven, and I'm going to keep multiplying and get larger in number. And hey, look, oh my goodness, there is a stressed out host, and I'm going to attack it. Hmm. And you end up with them succumbing to fungi and bacteria that they wouldn't necessarily succumb to. So survival of them is being diminished. Hmm. So we have climate change impacting um, the, the uh, sea turtle populations hmm. in, in pretty major ways, which hmm. is you know, a, a way that I think most people aren't even aware of right. climate change impacting this. So we, you know, we think about the big things, uh, you know, how is it, oh, is it more hot for us? Or do, are we having these more drastic temperatures? But we're not thinking about all the changes that are happening in, throughout the, the, um, the food chain. Right. If you want so, to call it that, or or just life in general. How is it affecting plants? How is it affecting? You know, we're seeing um, insects moving their threshold of where they would move to, and going into areas where they normally wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. So their geographic range is is changing, and again, you're getting these host and you know and pathogen that didn't maybe see each other before seeing each other now so all of this is happening with climate change and we're watching it happen and it gets really frustrating when people uh, are not recognizing that but it has these health impacts in many many ways mm. yeah and then you have something like um if, Sea, sea turtles that eat sea urchins that eat sea kelp which is the forests of 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 the ocean in a lot of uh areas and and gives rise to all of this life that that makes um a lot of uh fishing and everything else possible that that yeah. humans benefit from and uh, w without those turtles to keep those urchin populations in check the the uh, uh the kelp will 
will be devastated, which will uh, turn in, uh, which will be kind of a desertification of of uh, that o uh, that ocean region, which means you as a human are going to have to pay more for your fish at the grocery store and all, yes. all of these all of these yes. other uh, as we're talking about hidden uh hidden costs of of doing things mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about uh, you know canada puts the puts the <laughs> puts the uh gross cancer lungs on the back of of cigarettes is that what we're gonna have to put like deformed baby turtles on on uh <laughs> at our gas pumps or something is is there how, how do you uh i i mean how how what steps do we take to get people more mindful about these uh insanely complicated um relationships within our ecosystems yeah you know it takes it takes people like you <laughs> because people like me the scientists are not very good at communicating to the public and if we don't get the public behind us and get them understanding what it is and why we're we're trying to give this message what the message is and why it's important we kind of are spinning our wheels a little bit we're good at talking amongst ourselves but we're not always so good at getting that message out and that's what we have to do we've got to get the message out and and make you know, people aware of why it's important to them. Yeah. So it takes people like you. <laughs> well, that's all that I wanted you to say this whole show. I just, <laughs> I just needed some validation for myself, which is what this show is all about. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, it, it's a, uh, it's a subject that I unfortunately don't talk near enough about on on this show, even though I I love wildlife so much. I, but I, I mean, so so much of this show we talk about kind of cognitive biases and and uh, human behavior and and decision making and uh and and part of that was that early on i kind of thought well climate change is already kind of getting out there and you know you don't need to go too far to hear a, a, a podcast about climate change where not not everyone knows about something like uh the dunning-kruger effect or you know confirmation bias and and these sorts of things this is i'm talking about like six years ago when i started mm -hmm. it's been nice to see some of some of those concepts becoming more and more popular but um but the the more i uh, the more I talk uh, to people, it's just like an all hands on deck situation with with climate change and biodiversity. And I think we need just as as many people with as many different perspectives and and ways of communicating things and areas of research and expertise uh, doing what they can to get the word out and, and keep informing people. Yeah, so see, it becomes a partnership. Yeah. This is part of One Health. It's people like you joining forces, <laughs> you know, being yeah. part of the team to get the message out. Well, and I'm one on thing board. Like, yeah, one thing with biodiversity that um, I, I heard uh, it kind of described in this way, uh, that if you have um, in society, you have different workers and you need all of those to make society work. Mm -hmm. Biodiversity is the same way where you've got the different 
species. And if you take one of those away, just like if you took one of the workers away in a society, one group of workers, it's not going to function. And so it's the same with biodiversity. You take away a species and you lose that function. And yeah. and I think that that um, sometimes can help people get a better grasp on why does biodiversity matter? That's a beautiful analogy. Yeah, just imagine you woke up tomorrow and there's just mechanics simply don't exist. There's right. no no one to work on your car, no one to fix the airplanes. Right. <laughs> right, That's and a- we're realizing that with COVID, right? We're realizing who the important people are to make things keep working and moving forward. Hmm. Um, could I ask you a couple of COVID questions quick? Sure, which brings us to COVID. <laughs> so, again, obviously, I, I don't, I, I don't know how uh, how involved you are with COVID specifically. You know, I, 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 I hope that my my listeners don't hold you to knowing the exact perfect everything on uh, on every aspect of of uh, the incredibly complex situation but it's also been a couple months since I've had uh, kind of an infectious disease person or, or anyone in a related field on the show um, and there's of course uh, things are coming in fast and there's a lot of developments um uh, uh political developments uh, uh, uh um cultural developments um different behaviors in different countries that have happened since then and uh this this news just coming out about a couple promising um seeming vaccines at least according to the headlines i i haven't i don't watch the news and i don't um I don't put a whole lot of stock in exciting seeming headlines um, until I have a chance to ask someone that actually knows what they're talking about. So, uh, so uh, first of all, what do you think about the vaccine news that's come out? Uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, it's from a scientific standpoint, it's a little bit uh, nerve wracking too because I worry um, think when things get rushed along. Right. You always worry about that. But other than that, it's exciting. And I think it's going to be something that hopefully will be um, will be uh, effective. Yeah. So I think so. It sounds like and I would expect that it's going to get permission to start to be put into use, probably both of them. uh, And then we'll start to see how effective it is. I think both are supposedly 95% effective. I mean, that's insane, um, right? If it 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 truly (laughs) is 95, that's like a dream number, right? That was like way beyond what anyone was shooting for was my was my sense of it. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. And and (laughs) what? So so having to um, constantly deal with uh, I mean there's just so much conspiracy stuff out there and it's just and people are just really dug in and and uh, you know it's hard for people to be like you know what I was wrong about the 5g thing and I might be wrong about this other thing too people just like jump to the next thing 
Uh, and, and so I have, I have people send me lots of like anti-mask stuff and lots of, uh, like anti-vaccine stuff all of the time. And, um, and I don't know if you want to take a whack at any of this. The common thing that I see is someone will send me some, uh, like fringe ish kind of speculative, um, not peer reviewed paper from like March or April, uh, questioning, um, questioning the efficacy of masks. And if you actually read the paper, which you can tell the people that sent it to me never actually did, just saw the little headline, it usually says that, like, the problems aren't, are, are that, are of the questioning of, are people actually going to wear these things? Are they act going to wear them the way that they're supposed to? Um, you know, maybe some, uh, some sanitation issues of changing them out or, or wearing them for this or that length. Um, maybe, maybe an issue of, of making people, um, put too much confidence in them and, in neglecting some of the other aspects of, of, uh, distancing and not uh, washing hands and that sort of thing. And, and then lots of people obsessed with, there's a lot of new mask experts out there, let me tell you. And a lot of people are obsessed with like, these cloth masks are, aren't as good as this and that, and therefore all masks are bad. That's the, that's the mask thing that I, that I've been sent over and over and over again. And then the vaccine stuff is typically look, I found this vaccine that had this side effect from like 30, there's a whole, we've talked about Andrew Wakefield and the autism thing. And hopefully that's been debunked enough to my listeners, if not the general public, but, but people will be like, there was this, there was some vaccine 30 years ago and people had this side effect and you look and the, the side effect was, 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 one of the effects of getting the actual virus it was like one of the smaller ones and it was like such an insanely small number of people that got it and yet people will go oh the death rate it's only it's only one in 50 people die from covid but then they're like i heard a story of a story of someone's grandma heard from their chiropractor that a vaccine once made someone uh uh gave someone Tourette's for five days and like oh i better <laughs> you know and so uh, people seem to not be handling it well but as you said things things get rushed um what what kind of side effects are kind of legitimate for people to have concerns about based on you know past um past vaccine th things that have gone wrong yeah well so you can think about this similar to the flu vaccine right every year we have to have a new one right because it's a new version of flu and when people get the flu vaccine some people have bad reactions yeah and and that's you have to expect that because again our our system each host has a system in their, their body body's immune system that's going to respond 
to something foreign, the vaccine put into it. And so there's that chance. The vaccines are designed to try to prevent that, mm -hmm. but there's no predicting how it's gonna be on every single person. Mm -hmm. But what the vaccine is designed to do is to work with that host immune system and, and help teach it. It's like going to school, <laughs> help teach it. Okay, this is what you need to, this is what's coming. And this is what you have to start preparing for. And so you need to get, start manufacturing now. It's telling our bodies, start manufacturing so that when you do see that organism come, you're gonna be ready. Mm -hmm. Sometimes during manufacturing, things don't go so right. And, um, and so we might have a response. Mm. So again, can you say, well then just don't use it. We don't do that, right? We don't do that with the flu vaccine. It's people's, there are people who will not get a vaccine no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And I understand that, but yet at the same point in time, that doesn't help us combat these pathogens. Um, we see rot, the rise of pathogens that maybe we've gotten rid of. And because people aren't continuing to get vaccinated, we see them come back. Yeah. Um, so you have to, you know, the, people need to think about that. But beyond the vaccine, prevention and just trying to avoid it is important. Are the ma are masks a cure-all? No, but they sure can help. And that's been shown. There are awesome videos that show somebody sneezing and if they uh, use a handkerchief or use their elbow or you know how far it will project, that uh, people should watch those. And then that versus having the mask on, masks are meant, yes, they can protect you somewhat, but they're really protecting other people. And we, you don't necessarily know, you may not, you may have the virus and be shedding it before you start to get sick from it, or some people won't get sick, mm. but they will still share it. And that's what the masks are designed to prevent. And are some masks better than others? Sure, but they're all gonna at least have some effect and be helpful in some way. And it's, you know, it's better than not having a mask on. Um, so there's a study, I believe, coming out soon, if it hasn't already come out, looking at the different types of masks and which ones are better. Yeah. But they're not all available to everybody. So we, you know, you go with what you have and, and, um, and work with what you have. Mm. Now, people, if they think that they're wearing a mask and that's going to protect them from getting infected, that's, that's a little scary because that's really, you know, the virus can, you know, unless the mask is fitting properly, it will prevent some, it will prevent a lot and might be enough in most cases. But you have to realize your eyes are mucous membranes that love to suck things in. Um, 
yes, you have to make sure the mask is covering your nose. A lot of people will wear it down here. So you need to wear it properly because you have mucous membranes in your nose, in your mouth. So there are other ways that the virus can get in, obviously. And if the mask isn't fitting properly, it can get in around where it's not tight. But again, it still is, you know, it's still helping. So I understand when people, it's, it's just exactly what you said. People latch onto that one thing and then they use that to say, because of that one thing, they're going to negate all of the positives and, and go with that one thing. But then that's bad because yeah. then there's no protection at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, I get it too. So like if I, if I, uh, like, uh, don't get my workout in in a day or something like that, I'm just like, ah, and then I'm going to eat junk food ah, and then I'm going to do that. Ah, what, what the hell? I'm just going to let every, everything go. Um, what about, okay. So I, I have some personal, for instances, it, there's also kind of a funny thing too, going on that all of the sudden people have this, I guess I should be grateful. People have like this real interest in the microbiome or whatever, but, <laughs> but people are like, well, we're not, now we're not challenging our immune system enough. And no, uh, that's some other threat. And, and, and there, you know, there are some, especially for, for, um, childhood development, um, mm -hmm. some potential, uh, implications, but it's also, you know, I, I have, uh, I have, uh, someone I know that got COVID from a maskless wedding. They are, um, politically predisposed to not believe the thing that has nearly killed them, uh, is, is a big deal. They, they haven't had their, uh, sense of taste or smell for uh, a couple of months now got sort of got it back for a week and then lost it again have had no energy and are still like it's like the flu or something like that which i don't think that yeah. they've ever had <laughs> and then uh and then they um and 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 then they're like concerned about the well like well it's a good thing uh uh she's like well it's a good thing i got this because now I don't need to get the vaccine and, and, and like frame, framing going out and, and getting COVID as this great, healthy, like workout. It's like your immune system doing push-ups or something like that, but vaccines are bad for you, which vaccines are actually readying your immune system for future threats is just some more of the, um, uh, misinformation that I see out there, but do we, do we know in terms of, um, reinfection, uh, do we have any sense of, do you want to take a whack at the, I mean, my understanding yeah. is that it's possible and probably unlikely, at least with a similar strain for some period, it seems like it's happened, but, but it's, it's less likely. Right. Yeah, that's actually a good summation. <laughs> yeah, so we, so it's possible we don't. I don't think we know yet um, how long the protection is going to remain. Like if we, so once we get infected, I don't think we completely know if everybody is going to produce antibodies, uh, and I don't think we know how long those antibodies are going to hang around and be effective. 
Mm. Um, and I think that we also don't know are because COVID, the virus is changing, right? So I don't think we know whether or not what antibodies protection we might mount to whatever COVID we were uh, infected with will be protective against some of the other ones. So those are um, important issues that that uh, people, you know, you want to talk about like a false sense of security. I that is probably a false sense of security. I think because I I had uh, and this is kind of basically the same thing again, but I, I forgot it popped into my head. I had this fantastic question and experience on Instagram. Um, um, Aaron wrote. I'm someone who's contracted and recovered from COVID and has been donating um, uh, um, con convalescent uh, plasma. Did I say mm -hmm. that word correctly, by the way? Uh -huh. Woohoo! Uh, they they tell what my level uh, they tell what my um, ant what level my antibodies are at, but I don't know the metric. Um, they'll they'll take my plasma so long as the antibodies are present over 1.0. Currently, I'm at 4.0. I've heard that reinfected individuals had their antibodies levels drop below 1.0, but that's just what I've heard. My question is about reinfection, which I've heard is worse the second time around, and likelihood of reinfection due to virus mutation. What do you know about this? Yeah. Um, so, so that is one thing that I was going to say. Uh, to know whether or not you do have antibodies, you can go, you could get tested and and see if you do have them. And then they usually do give you a um, a, a titer so that you know how protective you you really are. And it's the same for a lot of things. For example, I'm vaccinated for rabies um, because I work with wildlife. Um, and and I have to have my titers checked. Uh, now, I was vaccinated when I was a vet student, but I have since been exposed. And I will say that that did almost act like a booster because my titers shot way up. Wow. And so that, that can happen um, if you get reinfected. Now, in some cases, it might be that reinfection will mean that you're not going to be as sick. You might not be sick at all. Um, or it could be, if it's a different strain, especially that you get, that you, maybe you do get worse. I, you know, I think there's not always that viruses don't all act the same way. I see. Um, and, and with time, your titers can change for various reasons. So if they drop below a certain point, that's when they say, oh, you need to get vaccinated mm -hmm. so that you get your titers built back up. And so that would be a way where people would know whether or not, like your friend that got infected at the wedding, if she got her titers checked and then they would be able to say, oh, you, you would still need the vaccination. So that is useful there. And in this case with, with the question, um, if if the cutoff is one and she's got four, that's pretty good. Okay. Um, and what about what about how, how long can how long can someone shed for? 
uh, like uh, this person that's had that still has kind of um symptom they're like still you know this is a couple months have gone by they're still congested there's still uh you know no taste no smell that that sort of stuff but 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 they're they have this congestion still it does that mean that they can potentially still be spreading covid uh it could and i think that then you need to get re you know she should be retested to see if you know she's still testing positive um and shedding the virus um you know that would be the ideal thing to do um I, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, one one relief because I had it kind of in my head with reinfection. Like in my mind, when it went to like the worst case scenario, I thought, you know, if, if this is if if people that are predisposed, if they've had you know the flu before, they have respiratory issues or whatever, those those people tend to handle COVID worse. I kind of assumed that if you got COVID once and then were to get maybe a second strain or so, you would already be automatically in that high risk category of, of someone that had already, now you have kind of like a pre-existing condition, but, but perhaps, but perhaps having gone through the similar virus before you would have antibodies that would maybe mitigate some of that. Is that what you're, but we it don't. It could, unless you had. supply. Yeah, it could, unless maybe you could be more susceptible if you have permanent damage, mm. or at least you still have lingering effects. Mm. Uh, because, you, you know, everybody is reacting, responding differently. And in some cases, people, um, the main thing I've heard about is they don't have the lung capacity anymore. And if they don't have that lung capacity being hit by another uh, round of that virus is going to impact your lungs again is probably going to be worse. Um, but again, it, it would probably depend on um, your immune system and whether and how effective it would be against that second round hmm. of the of the virus. Hmm. I. Um... I have one last little thing before we wrap up. I, as I, th this is something that I was, uh, you know, I have to say that I am, I have, uh, throughout COVID had periods where I can be pretty judgmental <laughs> about people. Uh, I, and I try not, I go back and forth and some times I'm like, yeah, life's short, be judgmental once in a while. <laughs> um, like, uh, but but um uh, you know it's been a frustrating situation for a lot of people uh, i'm sure people that have the exact opposite take of me on every issue it's been frustrating for them as well but uh here here was a blind spot that i had so i went to a um a this is like the one thing that i've done in all of covid that for me felt like i was even risking well i've done i've done I played pickleball um, in uh, in like a cohort of, of people that I know take it very seriously in my my little bubble, the same people each time. And um, but I went to a movie. I checked ahead of time. I saw that no one else had reserved a seat. Christopher Nolan's new movie, Tenet. He's my favorite filmmaker. So I go. I'm in there by myself, and I was debating like if anyone else comes in here. Will I leave? I don't know. They had it. 
They did such an amazing job. The seats were like roped off like 15 feet apart or something like that. I, I think there's probably 20 seats available or something in this in this big like 150 seat something like I I felt really safe and I thought like compared to going to the grocery store, which I think people would benefit from ordering groceries and not yes. not not going in, especially with uh, with, with having, um, uh, you, you know, surf, surface transmission being, um, you know, a, a bit lower of a of a source of, of transmission mm -hmm. um, that that makes me I would feel much safer ordering ordering groceries in and going to a super, yeah. super safe movie theater and sitting 15 feet away from anyone now i told a, a friend this um that takes covid more seriously than i do and 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 she she contested that that uh that the aerosol and being in a room for for two yeah. hours no matter how spread out people are would would be a bad idea and uh and then i looked into that and i'm i'm kind of leaning towards saying that that she's perhaps right about that what yeah. what are your thoughts yeah i think she's so i would um i would consider that because you're in a movie theater for a long time yeah and and yeah if you have somebody who's infected now if everybody's wearing masks it should be reduced but you still have to consider that that's a long time to be together and Perhaps. Yeah, and they're instructed to, but not when they're <laughs> eating popcorn or soda, right. which is like, you, you, again, this isn't like, you can't trust, I don't trust myself to necessarily put the mask <laughs> on in between every, every single bite, uh, let yeah. alone some stranger. Yeah, it would have to be that they weren't allowed to eat or drink. Mm -hmm. and do anything they had to keep it on mm -hmm. yeah no definitely if they're eating and drinking and then um the other thing um with um mass movie theater grocery stores <laughs> the thing that i always uh, it just shocks me is you see these this sign when you enter the grocery store must have on masks and then you walk in and the, before you know it you've seen people with no masks and it's like um did they not see the sign <laughs> did yeah. they not care and i also think well i guess what is the grocery store supposed to do unless they have somebody standing there yeah you know this saying is... no mask you can't come in <laughs> i i have a teacher friend who's like you know some kid will get dropped off and not have their mask on uh, everyone else and then be like oh their kid needs to wear a mask and the parents saying oh we don't do covid in our household <laughs> you don't do covid in your household this is this is where some of this frustration that i was mentioning yeah. uh comes from i i do wish you know there's this idea that that like you know Let's all, uh, if you want to negotiate 101, what you need to do is you need to get on the same page and find those 
things that we can all agree on. And hey, I want to be happy and healthy, don't you? And hey, yes, I want to be happy and healthy as well. And see, there you go. You found some common ground. And now you have an entryway into having this. I'm like that's all nonsense. Everyone has a different idea about what happiness and health means. I yes. I wish we could we could change the debate of like hey can we agree on what objective reality is and how we determine what is true and what isn't and we let's have a conversation about that how do we know the world is round as opposed to flat how do we know mm -hmm. that creationism is a, 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 or or darwinism is is a, is the correct hypothesis it, because this isn't just a fun debate. This has real-world implications on ter in terms of our disease avoidance, in terms of our mating behavior, how we spend money. Knowing how evolution shaped us is is a little more than uh, has much more serious consequences than uh, than your political side. Same with uh, same same with. Um, same with climate change and so i i think we need to scrap the age-old idea of like reaching across and have a conversation of like here's here's how science works this is what science literacy is about and just start with a 101 public it, science isn't just some science isn't just a seventh grade chemistry class where you watch a volcano uh like foam or whatever it, it has it it has some uh, uh big implications in all of our lives and we can all do it we can all be a part of it we can all read papers for ourselves you can even redo the studies yourself if you want to mm -hmm. if you're so convinced that um that it's not true that's one of the wonderful things about science so I really appreciate um, what you're doing with the One Health initiative because I also know from talking with Nina, she, you know, doing the important thing of reaching out to restaurants and figuring out how can we work with restaurants which are working with farms, which are, yes. you know, to help with uh, uh, local economies. And so I, I so much appreciate your uh, interdisciplinary approach and, and, um, and factoring in so many facets of of uh, of uh, the the human condition, but life more broadly and biodiversity and everything else. Do you have anything that you wanted to say before we wrap up? Otherwise, you've you've been a terrific uh, guest. Is oh, you know what? How do people find out more about the One Health Initiative? Yes, they can go to our website. Um, just uh, Google One Health at University of Tennessee, and it should come up. And I could send you that link. Yeah, well I'll include. Later. But what are what are people going to find if they go to the One Health? Initiative? They're going to find information about One Health and what we're doing, um, research that we're that we have ongoing, and topics that we're doing. We're also Education is part of it. So uh, see what we're doing for education and outreach. And also eventually we're gonna have a donate button on there so people can and can give. Um, so ways to contact us if they want more information and how they might themselves contribute to what we're trying to do. So it'll be great. 
I love it. Thank you so much, and and I I, I hope to get some more uh, One Health um, uh, members and partners on the show soon. That Thank would be awesome. Thank you so much, Deb Miller, for joining me. Thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people, and we'll talk with you more next week. If you want to support the show and maybe pick up some last-minute uh, holiday gifts for people, please consider checking out Lost Sailor Design, who I have been working with for years. I've had all sorts of shows, uh, I sell keychains and a bunch of other things, wallets, belts. Uh, and uh, with uh, with uh, here we are logo, and you can get here we are stuff on the site if you if you search here we are. But with uh, with my partnership, anyone that puts in the offer code here we are twenty gets twenty percent off anything. I've I've bought uh, a purse for um, a girlfriend of mine in the past. I I I've bought a bunch of different journals. Um, for friends and people I have like uh, business relationships with and stuff, I've I've gotten all sorts of different things um, from uh, from people, and the belts are amazing. I haven't worn a belt in some time, but <laughs> but uh, it might be if you're looking for to change up your belt game um, before you kind of reintroduce yourself back out there in the world. Uh, it might be a good thing to think about and support me on Patreon if you like as well and Libro.fm um, and you can get if you check on uh, herewearepodcast.com and uh, the YouTube description there's always offer codes for those long lasting partnerships of mine if you're into audiobooks all right, guys, you are awesome. Those of you that listened all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites.